Welcome back to the Obsessible Podcast. On this show, I talk TV and movies like I will with my girls, my colleagues, my booze, my babes, my peoples, my persons, my strangers. There's no danger here. Strangers. Okay. This is episode five of my Wheel of Time review series. And this will be the review of episode six of the show, Lies. This will be a review of episode seven of the shows of the show entitled The Dark Along the Ways. So this was the penultimate episode. And since Game of Thrones, aka the most referenced TV show on this podcast, made the penultimate episode must-watch TV for any TV series that you're absolutely loving, it has been the attitude of fans to make sure that they watch the episode that precedes either a season finale or a series finale. Why? Because big things happen in the penultimate episode. And episode seven of The Wheel of Time was the exact same. Big, big things, people. Big things. Usually, those things include answered questions, major uh, developments, and lots of payoffs for like of things that have happened throughout the season. I knew that we were going to be getting some more character introductions. Which you're going to have to expect with this show because there is a crap ton of characters and a lot of very important, pivotal characters outside of the main group from Emmons Field. So you're going to, you need to just set yourself to expect character introductions, even up to and including the end of a season. So the most important character introduction and the one I was looking the most forward to was that of Min who was portrayed by Kay Alexander, Min Farshaw, this year. Also, we got to meet Uno and Lord Agomar. In addition to getting a look at the production design of The Ways, Faldara Keep, and The Blight, I was not disappointed, even though I went into this episode extremely nervous about the direction of the show. It began with the sickest cold open, featuring the hardest female fight scene, ever filmed on TV or in movies, including every single Marvel movie. Yes, I said it. And that also includes all of the fight scenes from AMC's hit series Into the Badlands that had some crazy female fight scenes starring their character, The Widow. I literally lost it. I wanted to scream and jump up and down and beat down the walls and speak in pure patois and just become, just completely give over to my roots. But it was really late and I wanted to watch um, when I was watching, and at, which is pretty usual for me, pretty standard fare, um, and so naturally I couldn't do any of that. <laughs> what I did do was pause and rewatch over and over and over again. It was literally the most amazing, fantastic moment. This opening brought to life a character that as a book reader, you only hear about off the page. But to see her, that is to grain, in all of her Aiel fighting glory, putting in work... I mean, she was working those soldiers while fighting in active labor is by far the best thing I have ever seen on this show yet. I cannot wait for more Aiel fighting. In each episode, I do a breakdown and review of the episode. So that's coming. I follow that up with my favorite character moment, then a character I hate moment. And then I will rate this episode. Um, then I will rate the episode, then wrap it up with Twitter Me Laughing, featuring some of the best tweets I have come across about the show. What I'm not going to do this episode is a hated character moment because I really didn't have one. Um, there were moments where I hated the moment, but I don't, there, it wasn't perpetuated by a character that I hate. So 
that uh, that segment is we're going to remove that for this particular episode. Okay, um, but let's like start at the beginning. If you're new here, welcome to the Obsessible Podcast. I'm your host Nicole, also known as Nikki to my besties. And if you're listening, we are now totally besties. We are BFFs. I don't know if that's what you thought you were signing up for when you pressed play, but that's what you will get. That's what that's what it is. We are now bonded for life. Thank you so much for listening. Tell another friend so we can keep building this tribe. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, all of that good stuff. Not sure where you're listening to this podcast, but do all of those things if all of those things are available to you. So you know what time it is. It's time to get into it. It is time for us to chat. It's time for you to grab your pod, go for a walk. I don't know if it's warm or cold where you are, but it's December and it's cold here. But if you bundle up, you might just need to take the dog out. Go do that. Take the kids for a stroll. Go play in the park. Get in the car. Go for coffee. Do get cozy up in your favorite chair. But whatever you do, get comfortable. You're going to probably need a snack too. Don't forget your snacks. Maybe some eggnog. And listen in. Buckle up. We're in for a good one on this particular episode. Let me also add before we actually jump right into it, that I do spoilers for the episodes and for the books on this show. So definitely watch the episode first and then come back and take a listen. Okay. And if you don't want to know what's going on, then you're going to need to find yourself another podcast or listen to other episodes <laughs> that have nothing to do with the wheel of time. All right. So it's official. It's go time. Let's do this. So I really wanted to open the episode with that moment with that the uh, the group is in the ways and they have been startled. I'm going to get into all of the details, but this moment that you guys just heard really actually underpins the entire episode and is the reason behind much of the behavior that we see going forward in the rest of the episode. So I I wanted to open with that. But before, but I got to start this review at the very, very, very beginning because even watching it back, I, I think I've seen this opening maybe four times, five as of today. Um, and it gets me every time. It gets me every single time. If you have, okay, 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 okay. If you guys had to be anyone, and this is for book readers, I'm sorry for my non-book readers, but this is for my book readers. 
are the Aiyo not like just the sickest culture in society in the entire series? Like, if you could be anyone, right? Outside of being Aes Sedai, um, would you not just want to be Aiyo? What is better than an Aiyo? Especially a maiden of the spear, which is who we saw. Okay, okay. So let me just. I, this excites me, okay? It just excites me. Oh, oh, oh my God. I waited all season for that clip because we knew that we were going to get an, a, a shot of a fight or a battle that took place years and years and years in the past, about 20 years in the past before the events of the show. But we just didn't know when that was going to happen. And I think getting caught up in the watching, you're just kind of like, you forget that there are things and clips that you saw in the trailer for the season and this is one of them. All right, so what is it? It is Tigrain Mantir bodding up, bodding up, kicking off faces, slicing throats, stabbing chests, okay? Like, ooh, all while she is in active labor. And it's obviously the reason why she ran up the mountain because she realized her labor was coming on and she uh, needed a place to deliver her child. <laughs> and what is she going to do? Look to her spear sisters who are all dancing the spears against their common enemy at this point? No, she's going to go and handle this by herself. What that means for the child, who the heck knows? But I don't think she was thinking that far along. That far along. She was just like, I just got to get this baby out because it's it's time, right? It's go time. For those of you who are wondering why a woman who is eight to nine months pregnant, so very clearly in her final trimester of pregnancy, would be in a battle, you don't know the IEO, okay? So I'm back, back to my, this conversation for everybody, not just book readers. You don't know the IEO, okay? These are people who were designed, literally designed to fight. This is their purpose. They are a weapon, okay? And so even the youngest Aiel child knows how to survive and defend themselves. This is something that they are taught from they are very young. But then if you enter a warrior society like the maiden of this maidens of the spear, which is an all-female society, okay? Yes, all-female warriors, right? Okay? Then you are trained, brutally trained hardened for battle. This is why it says in the book that one Aiel fighter is worth 10 regular soldiers. They are the most feared and reviled society in the entire series. The world would unite, the world did unite against them in this time frame that we're seeing for this battle. And so let me tell you why. So essentially what had happened was... <laughs> There, I'm, like, this is, I, can you guys tell how excited and geeked I am about this? Anyway, all right. Okay, let me just tell you why, real quick. I'll try it to be, I'll try to be quick. What it was, was a gift was given to, from the Aiel to um, the Kyrienin, okay? And when they gave that gift to the king, it was a sapling of a tree, a, an offshoot of the tree of life, okay? The tree of life is called the Vendazora. And they gave it to him as a sign of friendship and allowed them passage throughout um, the threefold land, which is basically a desert. It's a very hard place. And the only people who reside there are the Aiel. There is no water, 
no massive, no lakes, no rivers. Okay. And, um, they, they are a warring society. They are a warring species of tribe of people. They're very tribal and they definitely, um, and they fight amongst themselves all the time, which hardens them even further as they try to survive in a very harsh environment. Okay. What happened was the king, his name was Layman. He decided he wanted a grand, grand throne. He wanted a throne grander than any other in any kingdom. And so he cut down the offshoot of a Vendasaur after it had grown to be full-sized, okay, and used it to make a throne. Well, the Aiel took exception to that. And so for them, this was not an act of war. This was, he required punishing. And so they left only, there are 12 clans of the Aiel. I believe it's 12. I'm going to confirm that. Um, and only three or four clans crossed the spine of the world. The spine of the world is a series of mountains. Crossed the spine of the world out of that Aiel waste to attack Kyrian. And when I say attack, they raised it to the ground. Okay? They mashed up Kyrian. And because, <laughs> because of that, Kyrian called on its neighboring kingdoms, Ilion, Andor, Tyr, and even Tarvalin, to help them fight against the Aiel. Just remember I said only a subsection crossed the spine of the world, and they wrecked shop. When Laman was dead, the Aiel were done. It wasn't a matter of conquering or taking over or anything like that. They came to punish him. That's what they did. And when they were done punishing him, they left. So that opening was the very final battle in the Aiel War or in the Aiel Punishment that they were enacting against Laman for his pride. They called it Laman's Pride or Laman's Sin is what it's called. And that particular fighter, that particular maiden of the spear that we saw, her name is Tagrain. And now that you watch the entire episode, you know that Tagrain is Rand's mother. But here's what is more important about Tagrain. Let me actually give you a little bit more of her backstory. So I told you why they were at war. Now let me tell you why she is actually a maiden of the spear. Tagrain is actually of Andoran blood. She's a princess. And she was given a foretelling by an Aes Sedai. That I said I told her that she must abandon her life and go to the Aiel Waste. That is it. And in order to save humanity, basically. If she didn't do that, then the whole world would fall to darkness. And so she did. And so she left. She was, um, she had been just recently married. She had a son and she left her son. She left her husband and she went to, and she made her way by herself. She left in the middle of the night. She didn't talk to anyone. She just disappeared. And she went to the, um, the Aiel Waste and she was found by the Maidens of the Spear. And she, they nursed her back to health because she was near death. And she implored them to let her join their society um, to become a maiden. And she did. They did eventually um, after initially denying her that request. She becomes an Aiel, then she changes her name, she marries again, and she and her husband, um, who was a clan chief, also have Rand. And that is how, that's where Rand comes from, that is the nature of the blood that runs in him. And the rest is history, as they say, right? 
but by far the best cold opening of the entire season, the actual best scene of the entire show. Um, just wildly, like just wildly impressive, wildly amazing and never been done before in TV and movies. Just never been done before. We've just never seen that. And I'm, I for one am here for it. That was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so we, we, we've just got to give it a round of applause. All right, now from there we go into the ways. Rand, Rand, baby, what's your problem? What's wrong with you? Why are you like this? He's so damn stubborn. He's so stubborn. And also just not confronting issues that are right in front of him. So immediately after we see them, they're literally in the pitch black. It's dark as dark, right? It's dark as night, darker than night in the ways, right? There is no light. And Rand immediately finds some way to blame Matt not coming, which is clearly Matt's choice, on Moraine. Like, sometimes I swear the kid is delusional. This would be one of those times. Like, it's obvious that Matt chose to stay. And as usual, Egwene sees the truth. And Nynaeve and Rand both think of ways to blame Moraine. And Perrin is often the voice of absolute reason. Like, Perrin's like, what are we supposed to do? Give up and die? Like, what do you want us to do? Sit down here? And we, we can't open the way gate because Loyal explains very clearly that if you open the way gate by using the one power, you're going to attract Ma Chin Chin. All right. We'll get into him that thing later. And that will be disastrous. Okay. So no channeling. Let's follow them because you can't do anything. I can't do it. And we can't do nothing about it. All right. We're in here and this is what it is. All right. So they decide, well, there is nothing truthfully that they can do. Duh. And move off into the ways following Lana Moraine. So the ways literally proves to be a terrifying place. Clearly, like they set it up to be terrifying and look terrifying. We're just like, what is this hellish place, right? And literally one wrong step will lead you to a certain death in any number of ways, which Loyal has certainly considered all, if not most of them. Keeping up to Moraine and Lana is key in this environment because Moraine is the only actual trained channeler and Lana is a swordsman, excellent fighter. Um, let's stick close, stick close as possible, like glue, like white on rice. Yes, <laughs> Mike. So arriving at a guiding after some time of walking, they discovered that the guiding, which is basically a map showing you where to go when you hit a crossroads in the ways and it's been defaced. And so it's kind of like, well, what the heck and how the heck would this happen? Because of Ogier who guide the way gates there's a lot happening that's not in here but that is essentially what that is like why loyal says ogier would never deface a guiding because the ogier are the guides of the way usually for the most part they are the the gatekeepers like their way gates are often in and around steading which are the homes of the ogier so ogier ogier often use the ways when they weren't corrupted and would never destroy a guiding. Okay. So now Loyal has to stop and figure out what exactly are the directions to continue on so that they can make it to the Eye of the World Waygate. Now, like, there's, like, a literally a very cute and funny moment that happens here. And it's when Rand is like, uh, 
if loyal's asking for patience that they're all gonna die like this is concerning because you know loyal moves slowly as it is at this point we have and then we get like more confirmation so maureen at that point just says you know we can't go any further until we know where we're going so if you can try to find some comfort take some comfort rand and the gwayne snuggle up beside each other Nynaeve by herself and Perrin watching for Lonely in the background. So there's this really cute moment that I just love between Rand and Egwene because Rand seems always to be wondering if Egwene feels the same for him as he does for her. So he'll do things like delay affection and even he'll question it when it is being offered. So there's this moment she takes his hand and he looks at the hand, he looks at her hand in his and then looks at her. She's looking at him like, sir and then he finally like softens and is like come and then like pulls her towards him (laughs) so cute (laughs) but he loves to play hard to get this boy like seriously (laughs) when he knows full well that he wants the exact same thing that's being offered to him like just give it up sir stop it you're being silly at this point man sheesh but the group gets no rest Shortly after they settle down to wait on directions from from Loyal, who's studying the guiding, a Trolloc surprises them. But that's actually not what actually happens initially. What happens first is Egwene is woken up out of her sleep because she hears whistling on the wind, right? And the wind that's supposed to be non-existent in the ways, but you know, whatever, we're just going to ignore that. Anyway, so she she hears this whistling, she wakes Rand up, and then they're surprised by the Trolloc. The surprise leads to an instant um, or simul- uh, uh, subconscious channeling from Egwene, and they, you know, you know, they uh, basically kill the Trolloc. But that alerts Machin Chin, and everybody realizes now, oh my gosh, they are in big danger, and they've got to go. They've got to go, and they've got to find a way gate that's closer than the one that's I than the one that's the Eye of the World. That turns out to be the Faldara Waygate. So Loyal is like, we got to go. Moraine is like, get us there. And he's like, okay, I'll try. Now, to let you know, Machin Chin translates in the old tongue to the Black Wind. The Black Wind is actually a corruption brought on by the Dark One of the Ways. That's because the Ways was grown by the male Aes Sedai of during the Age of Legends. I think I've kind of told you guys this already, but I'm not sure. But if I haven't, that's what it is. And so it basically attacks the group, whispering their worst fears out aloud to, to them. Everyone except for Loyal, that is. Which is likely because there isn't a bad bone in his body, or worrisome bone in his body. He probably truly may only fear being held down or held back before he has an opportunity to finish his book about the group. So to note, in the books... The wind can't even touch you or you would literally instantly be dead. Like, sucked in and dead off. Like, in this instance, the wind kind of surrounds them like a, a swarm of bees, which I actually, or swarming insect. And I kind of liked and appreciated that, that change to, to it. That was very interesting to me. Um, so now there is, the attack is in full swing and the group finds themselves, like, now, like, obviously they're needing a closer way gate. Then the eye of the world and they have made it to the fall darn gate but the wind has fully attacked and is surrounding them 
Moraine is now working her hardest while under attack, mind you, to open the way gate. And as each of them are being punished and, and pummeled, uh, pummeled by these negative thoughts, right? Nynaeve is also being pummeled, but she feels responsible for everybody. So especially the, EF, the Emmons Field 5, right? And it is saying all of these things to her, but you know, Nynaeve, that's not really going to upset her to say like she's getting broken down and sad inside. No, it just pissed her off. And she was just like, you fit in a shut the hell up. And she steps out of the group and has and channels this explosive barrier and that pushes the wind back, giving, um, giving Moraine some time. This juxtaposition and the way they had Moraine and Nynaeve set up as bookends one channeling to get out, one channeling to defend was a major foreshadowing moment. Major. But I'm just really not going to give that away or tell you why it is. I know I'd be telling y'all stuff, but I'm not going to tell you this. Okay? Sorry. Kind of. Not sorry. <laughs> okay? I'm not going to tell you. But anyway, it's major. And Nynaeve's explosion of, of, of channel... Channeling allows Moraine to open the waygate. So the group is shaken and stirred, and they find themselves stumbling out of the waygate in time. Moments before the chase begins, though, we see that they are not alone, and Lan tells Moraine that they are being followed. Of course, they don't tell the group. This is straight out of the books. But it's not something that we see on the page. It's only told about after the fact. But in the context of the show, it's kind of weird. And we'll need to have it explained how this is actually happening. Because in the book, it makes perfect sense how they're being followed. But they changed something major. So it's like, how actually is this following happen happening, right? So I'm just hoping that perhaps we'll get that in the next episode or maybe in future seasons. Sidebar. I wrote this before I wrote, I watched episode eight. I've already watched episode eight and there actually is no explanation. Okay. Anyway, we're going to continue. They have landed in Shinar at the um, Fortress City of Faldara. Did you hear me tasting my old mouth to figure out what the word is? That <laughs> That's what that was, by the way. <laughs> Faldara Keep. This was so exciting as hell to see realized. And I loved the set for this iconic borderland walled city. It was amazing. At this point, they enter the keep. They're in a safe place. They know they have friends there. And we meet Lord Algamar, who is the ruler of the keep, his sister, and members of the Shinaran Guard, including Uno, who's a one-eyed soldier who literally steals hearts in the books with his loyalty and his very, very bad language. Quickly, we see that Moraine, while being dealt with a bit rudely from um, Lord Agomar, that uh, informs Lord Agomar that there are Trollocs in the ways. And although they guard Tarwin's Gap, which is in front of the keep, they also need to guard the Waygate. He takes that well. Kind of. Because um, he's being rude as hell the entire time. Like, they're super gracious towards Lan, but very kind of like, he's combative, I guess, I guess you would say, with Moraine. Which kind of, I guess, speaks to the the lack or maybe the loosening of influence from on the white, like that the White Tower has in other nations um, farther away from Tarvalon. So from that moment, we get a rather, and then, okay, so from here, something really questionable with Moraine happens. And I just literally was like, what? 
So she requests that Lord Agamar's sister, who's clearly trained in the tower but doesn't make it to full Aes Sedai, um, send off a letter. Now, when you don't make it to Aes, if you don't make it to Aes Sedai, so there's three levels. If you guys have been watching the back, uh, the, the origin stories, I highly recommend that you do that because it's going to give you some really well needed insight. You start off as a novice. From a novice, you move to accepted, and from accepted, you go to Aes Sedai. Because she's wearing her ring, Lord Agamar's sister, Lady Agamar, she obviously has been raised to the accepted level. That means she does have quite a bit of control over the One Power. It will not kill her, but she probably is not very strong in the One Power because you do have to be a certain level of strength to actually make it. And in some cases, you just have to have a certain level of you have to have fortitude, mental fortitude, right, in order to get through the final test of the shawl. This is definitely something that is not happening in the books. Lady Algamar is not um, is not a part of the Aes Sedai and never trained at the White Tower. So I just thought I thought that was interesting, but totally cool, totally cool change. Here's a change from the books that just was not cool for me. Maureen asks Lady Algamar for her discretion and requests that she send a lower a, a, a letter. I, I combine the word letter and tower. Lower, Lord. Letter to the tower requesting that they locate Matt. But that's not the problem. The problem is that she requests. Oh. Sorry, I just realized something. I literally just realized something. By the way, this is exactly how I am when I am talking to my friends and stuff because I'll, be, I'll talk out the plot and then I'll realize what is actually happening. Oh, now I get it. Okay, anyway, sorry. And I'll explain all of that. I'll explain all of that inner dialogue that just happened externally. Anyway, she requests that the letter be sent to the Red Aja. Now I get why. Okay. So what I initially was about to say was like, what? Like, I, Moraine would never do that. But now I get it. This is the reason. So one of the things, Moraine, Moraine healed Matt of the dagger, but Moraine knows that Matt is not fully healed. So in order to make sure that he actually would be, then she would actually need to have someone grab him and do a full separation. So I think that that's what the intention was for her requesting that the Red Aja find him so that they can hold on to him. Um, and then there's also this belief that there's this darkness in Matt that could have him turn to the shadow. Not in the books. Okay? But there's something that has to happen for Matt if they're going to... if Even if they make... Mar okay. I'm struggling right, right now with this whole thing with Matt. Even if they make Matt... A dark friend for a period Matt needs to turn back to the light because there are things that Matt has gifts and talents that are are pivotal they're crucial to what happens in the end of the book I don't mind if because Matt does go his own way a lot he just does even in the books but I don't and I, and I honestly won't mind if they turn him to the dark for a bit right because even in I swear only when I'm recording my podcast are there freaking sirens outside? I swear. This is literally the second time in a row. And in no other episode that I have deposited and posted this year has that happened. This is crazy. Anyway, back to what I was saying. I also do that a lot. Tangents. It's a thing. Anyway, 
So even if Matt turns to the dark, one of the things that they say in the in the in the in the books all the time is nobody no one can walk so long in the dark that they cannot be turned back to the light, no matter what. And you there are characters who are dark friends who you don't even know they're dark friends until the moment they turn from the dark and back to the light and do the right thing, usually in some sort of sacrificial moment. So it's it's true, it happens. So I'm okay with if they're gonna take that direction, but I need them, I just, this moment initially I was like, and right up until this moment, literally right up into the second that I'm sitting here recording this podcast and recording the review of this episode, did I question what the hell Moraine is doing? Because truthfully, Moraine would never, she would never do that. So I just thought was like, what the hell is happening? Now I kind of understand because if they do capture him and they do uh, use the power to make sure that anything that would have retained within him from the from the dagger is removed, any residue of that darkness is removed, then then Matt can get the things that he needs to get, which happens when he's separated from the dagger. And I think I talked about that when we were, uh, during my review of episode six. So anyway, I'm really kind of interested to see what the justification is. And I hope that my speculation, um, and my theory is right. So also in this scene, we get the first mention of Min Farshaw. Min, a very different character introduction, um, from the books. But by the time we get to fall, cause like by the time we get to fall Dara in the books, we've already met Min. Um, but I'm good with this introduction as she enters the story at an what is going on? I was about to say crucial and pivotal. Crivital. <laughs> it's really a good thing that I amuse myself as much as I do. Because, boy, anyway, <laughs> she in, she enters the story at a very pivotal point in terms of the show. Um, but also in terms of the book. And she, like I said, she's a very important character. So... At the first meeting of Min, who's played by Kay Alexander, and she's literally perfect, she is snarky and sarcastic, just like Min. I love the way her visions were visualized, like how we saw them, because how they're described in the books is aura-like. And um, I think they did a really good job of of, of making that transition. Um, it's not quite how I saw it, but I love this interpretation. Um, and I had no real expectations for how this was going to happen. Just that I was waiting to see what the show would do. Min can't confirm anything for Moraine. And the truth is, Min wouldn't confirm anything for Moraine about the Emmons Fielders. But she did get something for herself, which is Moraine. Moraine got something for herself. Which was the premonition that the Armorlin seed, use words, would be her downfall. I'm really kind of hoping that this is hinting at a mistake that Moraine is about to make and would prove that the path that she's on is actually false. Now that I've watched episode five, eight, uh, this is in fact the case. <laughs> I hope y'all have watched episode eight too. Don't blame me if you're listening to, listening to this before watching that too, okay? Um, which honestly would make me breathe a sigh of relief because again, them going to the eye of the world instead of Shale Ghoul is a huge departure and very big left turn from the books to the show. And I need to understand what they're going to do in order to make this go further. Okay. 
so i'm kind of hoping now i do kind of still have some 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 reservations about even though i've watched the new episode of how that's going to play out one of the best things about this episode and in the stories in general is is the emmons fielders and their relationships and i've said this before um that there isn't enough of that in this show and it looks like it's going to be even more dis chaotic and just disjointed because now they have to diverge again they're going to have to diverge again eventually we know that right so we want them to, i want to see them together and so we did get that and it was nice to see them together just relating to each other um this is something i really i've i've, I've harped on and i i want to definitely see more of that but this actually leads to my least favorite moment between the group, which is when Rand and Egwene start fighting over whether or not Matt could be the dragon. As they now, as told by Moraine, have to decide if they're going to the Eye of the World. Because anyone who's not the dragon is going to die there. Okay? So Rand, being Rand, takes his fears out on, um, on Egwene. Perrin takes issue with that and jumps in to defend her. And then Nynaeve steps in and blows up the whole argument by suggesting that Perrin is in fact in love with Egwene, which was something that he was hinted at at the very, from episode one, okay? I hated this. <laughs> I hated this. Rand and Perrin literally almost come to blows. It was so annoying to me because I'm just kind of like, you guys haven't been around each other for like a cool month and a half almost at this point. What are you guys fighting about? You're fighting over someone who cannot do anything for you and you can do nothing for that person in that in this moment. You need to focus on what the actual biggest issue is right now, who the dragon is, and who and if you guys are going to go to the eye of the world. You guys are over here arguing about foolishness. Like I just was like, this is so stupid and actually not really characteristic. Th like, just dumb. Anyway, so when the dust all settles, everyone kind of goes off um, on their own to seek some sort of solace and to really kind of think about what just happened, including the bombshell that Nynaeve just dropped, which leads to my favorite part of the entire episode. Nynaeve, or Stalker Eve, as I like to call her, follows Lan into the city where he goes to visit his family. So this is after Lan and Moraine have a moment. Moraine kind of expressing that she feels guilty about having Lan be her warder and that she feels like she's robbed him of things. And he kind of says, to, you know, a, like, a, tries to comfort her and is, like, basically saying, no, this is what I chose. You gave me all of these things. And, you know, this is where I want to be. This is Moraine really saying goodbye and telling him that he should probably go and do the same. And so he goes off into the city to go do that and to find his family. And this is so nice because we do not ever get to see this side of Lan in the books. His family and even those who raised him are long dead by the time the main body of the story is being told. So bringing this, his trainer and arms men back into the story was a change I totally could appreciate. It, it's almost like if you watch Outlander, very, very similar to getting, um, oh my God, what is his, I'm gonna get it right. You hold on right there a second. Murtaugh. So if you watch Outlander in season five or season four, four, in season four, we get Murtaugh back. So we lose him couples of seasons before and then we get him back. But in the books, he's actually dead. So this is very similar to that. So having Lan's family come back or having his armsmen who raised him 
and a surround and a family that supports this relationship is very much like that. And that was a welcome change for me. Like I thought that was really, really nice and added even more depth to the character of Lan portrayed by Daniel Henney. Also, sidebar, there are 12 Aiel clans, which is extremely biblical. And even the purpose, like even their purpose is, uh, is um, as the people of the dragon, very biblical as well. So just wanted to point that out there. Uh, there's heavy borrowing from much belief systems throughout the whole entire world um, within the Wheel of Time series. So I just wanted to double back because I had said that, but I wasn't sure. But now I am sure there are 12 clans. So anyway, to continue. So we get Lan and his family. So Lan, of course, being Lan, discovers Nynaeve and her stage five clinger behavior and invites her in, which most people would be like, what are you doing? Well, because of course, as for most people, when the person you like and is questioned on does something that would totally gross you out if someone else did it, you accept it, right? So he's like, you know, what you going to do? Come on in or are you just going to stay out here? So she goes in and she gets to experience land in a whole new way. And that leads to this lovely little walk home and a very awkward doorway goodnight that causes Nynaeve to be like, you know what, this fool is not fitting to do what I need him to do or say what I need him to say. So I'm going to do it myself. And after they go their separate ways, Nynaeve rolls back up in his room and basically is like, so we going to do this or not, right? That's not what she says. But anyway, <laughs> you get it. You got it. They get to kissing and I'm here for it. <laughs> I've said this before, but I love this version of the relationship. I absolutely love it. I also really like how they build towards the relationship slowly, um, but definitely way faster than in the books. Um, but giving them each time to focus on other things, but also time to discover more about each other and to really figure that, you know what? I actually really like you. Like, I like who you are as a person. I like what you stand for. I like what you represent. And I love that. Love that. So from there we go from one couple consummating their relationship to another fighting for theirs. Egwene finds Rand in the yard practicing with his bow and arrow. And this is a place of comfort for Rand. And when we see him at this point, he is full of turmoil and he can't make the shot to save his life. Egwene confronts him about his behavior and explains that she's not upset that he reacted to the thought of something happening between her and Perrin the way he did, but in fact that she's actually upset because of his accusations about Matt. Like, hello, that's my homie too. I've known him all my life too. How could you even, right? But Rand, being Rand, immediately just explains why he doesn't, when he gets called out, called out, he does come. He does confront his own issues. That's one thing that is good about him. He just he just owns up to his foolishness, right? And and then he just does another just absolutely adorably sweet thing, and he tells Egwene that he wants her to go and train at the tower so that she can meet her full potential. And he's teary when he tells her this, and um, that he'll go with her to be her warder. Which I just was like, come on, guys. I just literally could have melted into a chocolate puddle. It was just so sweet, so adorable. I just loved it. Like, Egwene didn't need his permission, but 
his support obviously makes means the world to her and obviously makes the choice to go and train that much easier to make. So remember when I was like, this fade to black on love scenes is annoying? Well, they have not changed that. So I thought that maybe when other relationships came to full, for, like full circle fruition, like Lan and Nynaeve, uh, that maybe we would get a little more sexy time. We did not. I've accepted it. It's what it is. Uh, they're not going to make it any sexier than they already have, and that's it. Anyway, moving on. Post-coital rant, can't sleep, right? You know? And we finally find out what's been keeping Rand so quiet and externally focused the entire season. A pivotal moment in the books happens right at the very beginning on Winter's Night when the Trollocs first attack the two rivers during bell time and when Tam is injured, right? So what happens is Rand spends two days in the books, two days trying to get Tam back to the town safely um, so that he can be healed. During that time, Tam enters into a fever dream caused by his festering and infected wound. So he floats into and out of consciousness and he's hallucinating. He tells Rand unintentionally about how he discovered him on the slopes of Dragon Mount during the Aeol War. Right then, we flash back. Actually, no, not right then. Sorry, not right then. Eventually. So we see this happen. Now, for book readers, we were expecting that in episode one. But it was strategically placed in episode seven so that we can get this reveal, which is about to happen. Then we see Rand um, and the rest of what happens during the attack of, um, of Machin Chin. And Rand hears the wind tell him that he is, in fact, the Dragon Reborn and that he knows all along. Now, for most people who are wondering, um, like, whether or not Machin Chin was telling the truth, Understand what Machin Chin was saying was what people deeply feared. So Machin Chin for everyone else was lying, but for Rand was telling the truth because it was what he feared to be true. And it turns out to be true, right? And again, nobody wants to be a man who can channel in this time, right? So obviously when this thing is whispering its fears, your fears back to you, saying your fears back to you, it's going to be the thing that he does not want because no one would want this for themselves, right? To be a, a person, the most feared channeler of all time, the person who destroyed the world. Like, no one would want that. So that's why it's what the wind is whistling, is, is, is whispering to him and why everyone's saying it's not true, don't listen to the wind, don't listen to the wind is in complete contradiction to what he needs to actually have happen, Okay. So, um, and then I remember when I actually also, and then we also get to see moments where Rand is making things happen. So remember when I said earlier in my first, I probably in my first or second episode review of the show that the show has been telling us who the dragon is the whole time. Now we get to actually see all of these moments, which I had already picked up on because I already knew the answer where he's actually making things happen. All right. So knowing sleep isn't really going to come back to him, he leaves his bed and he goes back out into the yard where he centers himself. He's actually, he's starting to come into acceptance and now he starts hitting all of his shots perfectly. But the wind and Tam, that memory, aren't enough to convince him. So he seeks out Min and she asks him, and I was hoping that we were going to get a one-on-one between them because we needed that to happen. Um, 
you know, if he really wants to know. Well, Min tells him the story, which is a full circle moment of her first viewing, which happened when she saw Tam walking through the streets of Tarvalin as a child. She, and it's at this point where we get the flashback to the open, which is cut short. And then we see Tam helping to grain to deliver her baby, after which she dies. She sees Rand being born. Now we've, this is back to Min. She sees Rand being born, where he was raised, and by who. We finally get the answer we have been waiting for. Rand is, in fact, the dragon reborn. For those questioning if this is real, it is. In the books, it is Rand. And as I said, we we know it from the very beginning. Because, like I said, like a few chapters in, we know. I can honestly say I did not see the reveal coming this soon in terms of the show. And I didn't see it coming for this in this particular episode. I also must say that the scene with Tam and Rand in the woods, which was missing from episode one and placed in this episode, was worth the wait. I also loved um, seeing Min and Rand relate and talk to each other and get to know each other. Um, just like in the books, she holds things back from others that she um, that she only shares with Rand. So if it's about Rand, she shares it with Rand, but she will not tell other people. If she considers anything to be of great importance to him and only him, she will not tell anyone else. Even if it is the Aes Sedai who are asking. And this is why she doesn't tell Moraine what she knows when Moraine asks her. So now Rand is certain of what he must do. He's very much a, I got to do it on my own. I got to do it on my own. I got to do it on my own kind of person. This is completely in line with the books. It is totally in his character. So he seeks out Moraine, declaring himself to be the Dragon Reborn to her. The next morning, the rest of the group gather Nynaeve on her walk of shame back to her cha- chambers um, with finds Egwene waiting for her and notices, who notices very pointedly that Nynaeve did not sleep in her bed last night. Nynaeve totally dodges and apologizes for what happened with the group the night before. Then we enter, then we get Perrin, who's kind of quiet and sullen. He doesn't really seem to want to talk about the revelation from the night before and just notes that he will go to the eye of the world with them. Then we enter and then Lan enters, who announces that Moraine has masked his bond. The group basically at this point realizes that Moraine is gone with Rand. We cut to Rand and Moraine entering the blight together. But baby, let me tell you, if it was me and I had to do it, Moraine would have to figure out another way to get that done. Because the blight looks like a whole hell no. It is like the most hellish looking place on earth. I would gladly build a summer home in the waves before entering the blight. And that is where the episode then ends. Whoop! What a great episode. It had all the payoffs and unexpected turns that I could have asked for. Actor portrayals were fire, especially men loved her. We finally got Lanive. Daniel Henny with no shirt on is just, yes. Mm, yummy, yummy, yummy. And you know what? I low-key feel really sorry for Perrin, though, because, like, I feel like he's just lonely. And I feel like this Perrin really has a hard time being honest with himself. He obviously has, he's obviously going through a lot, has a lot going on, but he's just such a poor ting. And I, and I did not believe him when he said that the only woman he ever loved was his wife. Like, sir, sir, you're lying. You're lying. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, he finds, he it's just hard for Perrin to, like, open up. One quick moment that I wanted to mention. While the group are walking through the streets of Faldara, kind of getting acquainted with the, with the city, Perrin sees Padan Fane. It is, in fact, Padan Fane. 
And we also get him um, exiting the Wingate. Cool as you please. Like I said, this is directly out of the books. But I just need to have an explanation as to how this is actually happening. But we get all of that. So we're, we're going to hopefully find out what makes Pradhan Fane such a pivotal and important character. Because they're only hinting at it. They've been only hinting at it since this show started since episode one. So I, I, I can't wait to see what they do with his character. This version of Pradhan Fane, much more interesting. Much more interesting than the book character. Um, more robust and I don't just it yeah. Watch that space. Cause Pot on Fame, he's up he he about to do some stuff. And that's it for my review and breakdown of the episode. Up next, my favorite character moment. In a second that I don't care about Matt. That I wouldn't fight for him. Die for him. I was scared. I still am. I don't want to lose you. And you won't. We're in wrong about one thing. We're coming back. All of us. Listen to me. Whatever happens at the eye, this power that lives inside of you, you can't ignore it. Because it won't let you. We need to go to the White Tower. We can't believe always one thing. I'm not without you. I've already made that mistake once. I'll come with you to the White Tower. Every eyes and I need support. Do you really think I'll let someone else be yours? is it not obvious why i love them like i just love them so much oh my gosh but there's so much in store for these two that they haven't even considered and so i can i'm loving them for the moment but i know that things are about to change um i loved that again like i said he does own up to his stuff he will tell you as soon as confronted exactly what's going on with him no matter how stubborn and ignorant he's been in right before, even moments before, he will, when he, he's confronted and has to address his emotions and what his behavior has been, he will actually own up to it. So I love that about Rand. And I love that they always kind of find a figure out a way to make their way back to each other. Yeah. So this was definitely my favorite character moment. Favorite. And it features my favorite character, Egwene. So... <laughs> Carrie Ann Inarbon. Nine! Ron Goodman. Nine! Bruno Tonyo. Ten! Okay, so you know what that opening means. It's time to rate the episode. And I decided to give this episode a rating of five out of five. Five stars, five stars, five stars. This was such a great episode. I mean, I really appreciated all of the payoffs that we got um, over elements of the story that were kind of building to this moment. There is still a lot to be explained and I was really nervous going into it. So 
I'm glad that I got some things that I really, really needed. And we all needed that cold open. We all needed it. Like that was the scene of the series for me. I don't know about y'all, but that was the scene. That scene solidified this series as a must watch. And I'm again, I'm really working hard to lower my expectations in terms of adaptation from the book to the show and really just enjoy the show for the show for what it is but you know it's difficult i'm a hardcore fan of this series of novels in any case up next is twitter me laughing so the first tweet that i have for you is from at dedicated grady who tweeted, this performance was outstanding. And it's a picture of Tigraine. <laughs> and I can't agree more. Like that was, like I said, that was the scene for me. Her, the actor was phenomenal. She is a stunt actor out of Prague. And she just, she just killed it. It was, she just killed it. It was amazing. At Dojima Deadlift tweeted, my favorite series has gone mainstream. This is absolutely a dream and I don't want to wake up. Hashtag the wheel of time. And it's a picture from inside of a bookstore um, that shows a caption of the wheel of time. It's from the beginning of pretty much every chapter in the book, which reads the wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become a legend. And the show has become definitely going down in legendary status. At Levi Ackman tweeted, let's give Rosamund Pike a big hand for out her outstanding performance as Moraine. And she has done wonderful as Moraine. She's excellent. At Trakand and Tyrion tweeted, mother of dragons. <laughs> hashtag the wheel of time. Hashtag Twitter of time. Hashtag Game of Thrones. And it's a meme. And it's a picture of Daenerys. Uh, played by Amelia Clark, and it says having the dragon allow having the having the dragon allows her to dominate combat. Underneath that picture is a, a picture of Tigraine in full fight mode, just yeeting <laughs> an Ilion soldier, and it says dominates combat while having the dragon. Just amazing, just just well done, just good. Well, folks, the numbers are in. At the Wheel of Time tweeted, breaking news, hashtag the Wheel of Time is still number one in the world for three weeks running and is the number one original on streaming with 1.16 billion viewing minutes in its first three days alone. Folks, it looks like we have a hit. And I actually just recently read that uh, the vice president of TV um, in charge at Amazon wants to actually make all 14 books. So including the prequel, so it's 15. So hopefully we will get many, many, many more seasons of this show to come for many more years. I'm excited about that because I want to see Demise Wells. That's what I want to see. I want to see Demise Wells. I want to see the fight at Maradon. I want to see the last battle. I want to see, I want to see the Sean Chen, um, Take uh, uh, um, capture Tarvalin that battle I've, for Egwene. I want man. 
y'all y'all don't even know what's coming y'all thought you saw some stuff you wait till you see what's coming amazing um and that's it that's it we've made it to the end of another episode thank you so much for listening thank you for being here with me thank you for enjoying this show thank you for all of the downloads um i so appreciate you i don't know how you guys are finding me (laughs) but i appreciate you thank you for continuing to come back and listen to my thoughts on shows and television shows here at the obsessible podcast i am your your host nicole aka nikki also known as your bestie and i'm out merry christmas